Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. There can only be one. Is that your segue this week? We're just, we're just going to go right into it? <laughs> no, I just... Fucking Christopher well, Lambert's fucking accent, man. It fucks me up every time. Excuse me, let's just... With all due respect to this film, accents, there are several, because he keeps trying to go back to that Scottish one, and he can't. Yeah, Noah, why don't you tell us about Highlander? How did you? Sure. <laughs> See what you did? So, in the world, there are random dudes who are immortal, unless their head gets cut off. Um, and for no apparent reason... There is lore behind that where eventually they will be drawn together to murder each other until there is only one. And then that person gets a undefined. What the fuck? Undefined. Sorry. Uh, and he gets a, a prize. And apparently there's also some kind of quickening thing where they can like feel the life force of stuff you get struck by lightning i don't know it's very undefined uh the important thing is dudes with swords including clancy brown as the kurgan the biggest scariest of the sword guys and christopher lambert who's supposed to be intimidating in some weird vaguely scottish and or french and or not either of those things ways um, and despite his character being Scottish and or Irish, the most Scottish person is uh, James Bond, who uh, is supposed to be Egyptian with his yeah, thick he, Scottish accent. Yeah, but he lived in Japan for a while and then moved to Spain. So that well, makes sense. Yes, yeah, I know. He's a, he's an Egyptian from Spain who lived in Japan, which you add those things together makes a Scottish accent. We all know this. It's common sense. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much normal, science. It's normal stuff. Did we mention this is a canon film? Like <laughs> you don't have to mention that because anybody who watches it will figure it out. Soundtrack by and, fucking Queen. Should you mention that much of the story takes place in the uh, modern day world of New York where that's where the quickening is, ha- is going to happen, which is the uh, event where they all come uh, together. That's that's the gathering. Oh, the, sorry. The quickening <laughs> is their ability to vaguely feel the life force of stuff and get struck by lightning. Hey, 
I, I have to mention that despite the fact that I'm speaking so negatively about the plot of this movie, God, I fucking love this movie. It's so good. Every fucking time. Every time I see it, it's fucking great. I was wondering it's, why you're being so dismissive of a film that you've already told us a million times you like. No, I love this. I love it more than anything in the world. It is a, it is a nonsensical plot, but it is dudes with swords, like having fights in which apparently their swords are entirely made out of those flint sticks you use to start fires. Cause every time they touch another piece of metal, they just shoot a mile long trail of sparks. <laughs> it's fucking great. It's the best movie. It's one of the best movies ever made. All the negative things don't matter because it's, it's dudes with swords cutting each other's heads off to, to the sweet, sweet sound of queen. <laughs> I'm actually going to push back on what you're saying a little bit. Um, a How lot of what you. you're saying, because I think the plot is not nonsensical. I think the plot is mostly makes sense. Okay, granted, there's like some made up lore, but it is a fantasy film. You're allowed to make up your lore. Once they make it up, they stick to it. I think they do a really good job of telling the story in like two different time frames where you see McLeod like learning that he's one of these random beings that lives forever and then eventually coming to terms with what that means and going through his training so that he'll be able to uh, deal with the gathering when the time comes and then contrasting that with the flash forwards and or flashbacks depending on how you want to look at it where he's living his life in new york and it's now time for this big battle i, I thought it was really well done no I, I i think the actual story story is fine there's just the uh the background stuff makes no sense define like what makes no sense just the made up well, lore well like have? no where does the lore come from that's that that is really important because are they just born with innate knowledge of it? If so, why does Connor not know it? Also, how does the fucking Kurgan know his name before he's been revealed to be an immortal? He already knows he's an immortal, but he doesn't even know he's an immortal, let alone know who the well, Kurgan is. So it can't, can't be just like they just know. Can't they sense each other? Yeah, there's I, a yeah, and the Kurgan think, is the strongest, so he has the most power to do that. Whereas McLeod at the beginning doesn't know anything that's happened yet. He hasn't honed his skills. It's kind of like learning to use the force, I think. I, th I yeah, suppose. Because later, um, James Bond asks him, uh, have you ever felt like this before? And he's like, yeah, when I met up with the Black Knight. So he essentially has like a spidey sense. He just doesn't know what it is. Yeah. Well, I know they can sense each other, but I'm saying like before that fight ever starts, the Kurgan is making his deal with that army. And he's like, there is a guy in that village whose name is this. Yeah. He is because mine. The, because the Kurgan is the most powerful of these beings, right? So he is his knowledge of like the way where they can all feel each other and sense each other. His is more deep because he's more powerful. He's more in tune with the force in Star Wars technology and terminology. Okay. No, so I, like, here, I, here's the thing. I 100% accept your argument because that just makes this movie even better. I mean, this movie, <laughs> this movie still has its share of nonsensical stuff that goes on for you know, reasons, but um, 
overall, like the plot is, is really well done. I think then, you know, you have the, like random scenes, like where you get the flashback to that duel scene that I can't figure out why it's in this movie where you just decide they're like, remember that time you were in a duel? And then it just flashes back to a duel where he lets himself get stabbed a whole bunch of times and doesn't die. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, fuck yeah. Like I went into this pretty blind, not knowing. Oh, that's right. This is a first watch for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So like, I knew seen fucking Highlander, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I knew, I knew, I knew guys with swords. Right, I knew that. I knew Christopher Lambert. I knew uh, Sean Connery was in this. So have you ever seen any Highlander movies? No. Okay. So this is your first dip into Highlander completely. Yeah, like, Who's going to say, congratulations, you've seen the one that's worth watching. Yep. Yeah. Like, <laughs> don't I think, watch anything else. No, no, I'm not really planning to. Um, I, I think I like I've seen maybe clips of this or clips of some of them, but never sat down and watched one. Didn't really know the plot. Didn't really like was really caught off guard because all the pictures I've seen from it is always of like the old timey stuff. And I think so when, when the opening shots of this movie are like at a WWF event. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? Sorry. <laughs> and then I'm like, then you, when you see um, the cloud for the first time, of course they are, it's really efficient storytelling because they put him in that standard beige trench coat with the white sneakers. So you automatically know it's the mid eighties. Like, <laughs> cause that was the uniform of the decade for some reason. Uh, trench yeah, like, coat, I, white sneakers, obnoxiously long cream colored scarf that is tied midway down his chest for no reason. It's, it's, it's frustrating, but, um, yeah, like, but that, op- like that opening scene or that you're like, it's like the free birds are entering the ring and you're like, I don't understand why this is happening. Like, is one of the free birds immortal? Is that what this movie's about? <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm like, then you just see him get, like you see him not having any fun in the stands and he gets up and walks out and has a sword fight in the, parking lot and i'm like and you're like immediately i'm like obviously this is a fantasy because who's not going to hang out and watch the free birds wrestle yeah well i mean sometimes you got to <laughs> chop a guy's heads off and people have responsibilities brian um <laughs> but like when when he goes out there and he like and he chops that guy's head off and then and then i'm like right away i'm i'm like hooked i even started like thinking about the movie in a weird way where i'm like his sword is inappropriate for the circumstances. Like, why is his sword like, so like Katana esque if he's supposed to be like this Scottish guy. So he should be using like a broadsword. And then like, so I start asking those questions and then the movie starts answering them for me. They walk you down where he got that sword and how it was made and all this stuff. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like I thought I, I, I was expecting to have fun watching the sword fight scenes and stuff. I wasn't expecting stuff like that to play out. That weird, like Vietnam flashback he has to when he first found out he was immortal. And then people basically thought he was a witch and chased him out of his own village. (laughs) It's like, that was his like weird flashback moment. You could tell he was like very traumatized by it. About that, about the opening credits, that opening thing song slaps. Fucking Princess of the Universe. Fucking love that song. Which I read they were only supposed to do one song and they enjoyed it so much they wrote, they wrote like everything else for the movies. I don't know how they didn't do a 
thousand other soundtracks for movies because admittedly the two movies that they did the soundtrack for were not huge box office successes. So Highlander did not make a psychotic amount of money and uh, Flash Gordon also did not make a ton of money, but man, those opening credits hit and that queen comes on and you're like, fuck yeah, (laughs) let's go. Hmm. All right, guys, I gotta go for a minute. I'll be back. All right. Then they made uh, that that okay. TV show that is very much a TV show that aired on USA at eleven o'clock. So I have a question about that. And since Doug's gone, because Doug won't know any better. Um. So we have Highlander. Highlander two comes out. It's 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 a mess. Um. They pretty much ignore Highlander two forever, which is probably the best move. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't hate Highlander two as much as some people hate it. Yeah, it's not, it's not great. Um, but then they make the TV show, okay? Right. So this first movie is supposed to be about the quickening, about somebody killing everybody else, being you know the only one, and absorbing all the power. And then apparently that makes it so you can now get old and procreate and whatever else. So I haven't seen the TV show forever, and I'm not even sure I saw the first couple episodes. Um, do they ever explain where the fuck Duncan McLeod was at? If he, I don't, I don't know if they do or not. Because I, I watched a lot of the TV show, but I don't, I don't recall if it ever got like a final episode. Yeah. Although I think eventually, I think they made a movie where both of them are in the movie. Well, Christopher Lambert's in the first couple episodes. Right. So right. He sort of passes co- it because off. Because they're cousins. And then uh, Duncan does show up in Endgame, I believe. And is in, I think, the main character for the next couple movies. Because that's the one where uh, Connor dies in it. Spoiler alert. Awesome. I, I mean, the whole timeline of, of the movies makes zero sense. But it's just uh, it's just weird that like this first movie is supposed to be like, well, this is all of them. They're finally going to do it. But there's no mention of like this Duncan guy. Who, when we started the TV show, they show flashbacks of him back in olden times. So it's not like he's a new one. So, right. yeah. And which means he would have had to have been dead before 1983 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying there's there's flaws in their timeline. And I'm sure when they made the TV show, they're like, who gives a shit? It's 1992. We don't care about shit like that. I'm trying to guess how many movies were there. I tried to look it up. There's so many. I couldn't even keep track because I wasn't going to go through each one because I'm sure there's a bunch of like fan made movies that are listed on IMDb. There's trying to think there's Highlander, Highlander, the quickening. Highlander, the third one. It's like the prophecy or something. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, and I think there's an animated Highlander movie. Yeah. Um, there's one called Endgame, uh, which I remember because that's the the only one I saw in theaters. Uh, and I remember being like, "Well, this was terrible. Why shouldn't I came to see this in the theater?" Yeah, they really they really fucked up with the first movie having him uh, be the only one at the end. Yeah. Because it makes that like the whole series is instantly rendered into the realm of nonsense in a, in a movie that the, you know, the premise is already pretty fantasyful. So you got to suspend disbelief, but it's like, okay, so he's the only one. And then it's like, well, in the future, there are more. And it's like, wait, but why are there more in the future? Well, don't they make them aliens? Isn't that their excuse? It's some weird thing. And then so they they do that and then they go to the third movie and they're like, OK, let's pretend. Let's pretend like two didn't happen because that's weird cyberpunk Highlander. Yeah. And they're like this one. There was another one, but he was like frozen underground. And we're like, yeah, yeah. but if he was still alive, frozen underground, then there wasn't only one. There was yeah. one and one frozen underground. And they're like, yeah, but we'll just. Come on, guys. <laughs> the third one's called The Final Dimension, by the way. And uh, the Frozen Portal was played by Mario Van Peebles. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. It was a fucking Van Peebles movie. Then after the fourth one's Endgame. Again, I saw that one in theaters. And Edge from the WWF at the time was in it for a split second. It's got that one's got Donnie Yen in too, too right? Oh, uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at the fucking cast list. Yeah, those are the only people we're talking about, really. Yeah, and so that's the one where Adrian Paul takes over, the Duncan McLeod character becomes the main character, and then they did a TV movie called Highlander the Source. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which I'm sure is probably not good. And then supposedly they're working on the remake, and there's a good chance that uh, Mr. Uh, Henry Cavill is going to be Connor. That dude have to be everything. He's got to be uh, Superman. He's got to be. Uh, you know what? You know what? I'm kind of into it, especially for the fact that, despite the fact that right now he's a superstar, he also legitimately seems like he's a fucking dork. Oh, he's a giant nerd. He so, makes his own computers and stuff. So this is what I'm going to say. So in 20 oh. years, whenever his career crashes and burns, he'll be at every fucking con being cool. <laughs> Which I'm kind of into. Yeah. Yeah, the TV show lasted for six seasons. Yeah, it was it was real pretty fucking good popular, too. Yeah, I bought it on Voodoo because I mean, it was like five bucks or something for the entire run. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? See, I I almost feel like that would be, that's almost podcast worthy. Just sitting down and watching fucking every Highlander thing. (laughs) (laughs) The quickening podcast. Oh, that's dope. Uh, Yeah. May 98 was the last episode, but then they did a sequel series. Well, not really a sequel series, another series called, Highlander the Raven, which I never watched. You ever watched that one? 
Do what? A second TV series? Yeah, Highlander the Raven. It was with a female lead. She was a female immortal. Says a female immortal and thief tried to redeem herself with the help of an ex-cop. I did not. I did. I. I didn't even know that existed. Elizabeth Grayson and then Paul Johansson. Looks like the cop. He's one of those people that you're like, oh, he looks like he was on like silk stockings or some bullshit like that back in the 90s. Eight. Wait, 98. It was on at the same time as the other show. Yeah, just I think they it like I think the uh, the other show like passed the torch essentially. I don't remember, but I feel like she was showed up towards the end or something and they like handed it off like a new series to her. It only lasts one season, though. Well, goddamn. I, I suppose we are going to that, that you've that our audience of three. You have witnessed the birth of the <laughs> quickening. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Um. I don't know. Should we actually talk about the actual first movie? Probably. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking dope. How fucking great is Clancy Brown is the bad guy? Uh, he's great. He's just they're like, oh, he's a big he's the Black Knight. He's this big sort of terrifying dude back in the olden days. But now he's just like some punk rock guy. Which well, is kind of yeah. fun. I, well, yeah, I think it's great to show you know what that they the characters aren't exactly static mm-hmm. you know what i mean so the, the yeah. connor's character goes from this you know scottish i went to live in the countryside and you know do this to being a refined antiquities dealer <laughs> in new york city and the kurgan goes from you know savage mercenary to Basically, biker, <laughs> biker slash evil, grimy New York villain. Yeah. So the uh, trivia says that uh, um, Christopher Lambert worked with the dialect coach, and that his dialect is purposefully muddled so as not to give off the impression of any one like territory it's non-territorial i guess it's really strange i mean it's just weird is what it comes off as it's just his his especially toward the end of the movie his there can be only one (laughs) (laughs) you know whenever the fuck (laughs) that is not that is not the way anyone fucking talks no one talks like that yeah. Well, also, apparently he didn't fluently speak English when he was cast in this movie. Like he was in Tarzan and apparently only had like he had very short sentences he had to say. So he was like they could teach it to him. But apparently was not fluent in English, so had to learn English for this movie. Which I'm sure helped with his weird muddled. Uh, dialect, which is which is crazy because isn't. Where was he born? I don't know. I feel like we looked this up for that one movie. Yeah, because doesn't, doesn't it turn out he's not? He's like from an English-speaking country. Yeah, let's find out. Uh, 
Christopher Lambert. All right. He says he's French American. Uh, he was born in Great Neck, New York. And his dad was a diplomat or something like yeah. that, right? His dad was yeah, a yeah, French yeah. diplomat at the United Nations. His father was Jewish due to his father's work. Lambert moved with his parents to Switzerland at the age of two. So born, was, <laughs> born in New York, French. Uh-huh. Father's Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> then immediately moved to Switzerland. He was raised in Geneva and went to Institute Flormont, until his teenage years when the family moved to France and settled in Paris. Interesting. Uh, 1985, Lambert played the lead in Luc Besson's stylistic film Subway about a man being hunted in the underground subways of Paris. Interesting. Um, yeah, he, bless you. He seems like a very strange individual. Allergy season. In 1990, he did a comedy called Why Me? Starring Christopher Lloyd, with both of them playing burglars who get into trouble after stealing a what sacred ruby from the country of Turkey. What the fuck? This man's this man's career is just a fucking mystery. Yeah, he was married to Diane Lane for a while. For six years. Yeah. Interesting. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, how do we feel about Sean Connery being in this movie? I just Sean Connery's character makes no fucking sense. No. Who who wrote that? Like. Just, it, just the fact that he's like, you don't talk like a Spaniard, and he's like, I'm Egyptian, and it's like... You sound like Sean Connery. Yeah, you have a Scottish <laughs> accent, man. He just shows up and is like, oh, this guy. I need to train this guy so he can be an immortal. To be fair, I believe the plan was to make sure that he would win against the Kurgan so the Kurgan wouldn't uh, end up taking over the... Uh, whole world which was kind of important yeah don't point out plot points to us sorry <laughs> i forgot that plot yeah like he he, he says it pretty clearly and then yeah. ends up losing that battle to the kurgan meaning that he i think he kind of knew that was coming and the idea was to have somebody strong enough to eventually take the kurgan out and not have uh not have the Kurgan get that final burst of power that McLeod gets at the end of the movie. No. Um, I had a point. I completely forgot what it was. Yeah, I don't know. Good times. Was, was your point that there can be only one? Yeah, maybe. Um, so apparently Sean Connery only worked for like a week on this movie. And they just shot all of his shit like when he showed up. And he got paid $1 million. For one week's worth of work in 1985. Yeah, I mean, that was probably worth it. Get him in this movie from a marketing perspective. 
Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. I bet if we go back and watch the trailers, they're ninety percent Sean Connery. Uh, which apparently him and Christopher Lambert became such good friends that Lambert like insisted that he be in the sequel, even though that makes zero sense whatsoever. No, no. I feel like the the sequel is derided. So after fighting the two weird alien dudes on their flying discs. <laughs> the Sean Connery's ghost comes back and stops him from being crushed with his Highlander quickening ghost magic. Mm. As firmly established in this film, all Highlanders possess. So you guys already told me not to watch the sequel. You don't have to convince me now. Okay. Yeah, we talked about the sequel while you were gone because okay. whoever was in charge of it was like, well, let's. Let's get rid of all the the stuff that made the first one interesting. And hey, guess what? They're all they're aliens now. They all come from a different planet. Yeah, Everybody the, just went, what? I don't, I don't the, even want to know that. The five the five sequels, the two TV shows, and then the TV movie. Oh. And uh and, and now the remake. I missed the conversation about how great um Nancy Brown is in this movie. Yes, you did, because we did talk about that. <laughs> it oh, really like, is. Dressed like the Terminator and living in the hotel from Basket Case and just raising hell. <laughs> Banging horrors and causing scenes and having sword fights in the middle of New York City. Yeah. I love I love He's the fact great. that apparently due to the weird Highlander magic, his his neck wound never fully healed. So he just has like that weird tattoo over it. And then he has all the safety pins of his neck. Yeah. Safety holding pins were just blend. to help them blend in at that time. That's, I don't think they were holding it closed. I think that it was just because punks were sticking safety pins in their own skin. No, for sure. Back then. It was definitely a fashion statement. Yeah, it's so strange that that, that was a thing, but it was. so. And how great. We were, you know, we keep bringing up the, the slight things in this movie that may or may not be complete nonsense. How great is this crazy nonsense briefcase sword? <laughs> that like What's, the blade the blade snaps together you know say, it has, like has in like, the middle there's nothing like, holding yeah, it together three weak points that you could easily break that blade to be fair I never even really stopped to think about that I just thought it was neat that he had a sword that he could assemble uh yeah it's fucking awesome yeah so. just, it just makes no sense yeah, I guess you're you're right now that you're pointing that out. I'm like, yeah, it really doesn't work if you do that. But, but watching him assemble it, like again, I've like because of the way he looks when he comes into the twenty the nineteen eighty six storyline and just the way he pulls into town and gets that shitty motel room and stuff, I'm really heavily thinking Terminator. And then here he is like putting together his weapon in the hotel room and I'm like, Yeah, that makes sense. So this all checks with what I expect this character to be doing. So I never really thought past it and dig into the details. Uh, one of the story beats I thought was interesting is uh, Sean Connery, because I can't remember his character's fucking name. Uh, Sean Connery. Yeah. Tells him to like not have emotional attachments because obviously it doesn't work out well for immortals. Yeah. Right. Um, which they sort of show with his wife and stuff. Um but then they show like a scene of him in World War II fighting Nazis, which if there's ever a movie to be made, it's Highlander fighting Nazis. 
Yeah, like that uh, should have been the sequel. It was just a throwback to that whole thing of him just running around World War Two, getting shot totally. and being like, fuck you, Nazi. <laughs> Uh, and then finding that little girl and then like essentially just like raising her as like friends or whatever. I just thought it was like an interesting like way to sort of show what Sean Connery was talking about, even though they're not like romantically connected, but it's just that like, oh yeah, I saved her and now she's like, I don't know, his secretary or keeper or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Yeah, and she's older now, but I mean, yeah, shit's about to go down, so I got to run so that she doesn't get caught up in it. Yeah, I thought that was more interesting than having like a, a romantic relationship that he had to deal with. Yeah, I thought yeah. this one worked better. Yeah, the romantic lead part of it, I'm just kind of like me, but yeah, I, but I would have liked to have spent more time with the relationship between him and the little girl that he rescued and, you know, why he chose to keep her around and how much does she know? Like she obviously knows he's immortal at this point. And there's that neat moment where he's like giving her advice and she's like, you're not coming back, are you? And then she stops and goes like, even if you can come back, you're still not going to right? Like she understands that this has always been coming. Right. And he's he's set her up like she's going to have a good life, but she's going to lose her her father figure. Russell Nash dies tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I must go to fight. There can be only one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, some of the trivia, Doug, uh, said that he worked with a vocal coach to make his accent as non-territorial as possible. I mean, instead, it's very territorial, but that territory (laughs) is the moon. (laughs) This is a little known fact for wrestling fans out there, but that's what you sound like if you're from parts unknown. So that's (laughs) it's true. (laughs) I'm coming for you. Hulk Hogan. The best part is the whole fucking time that he's trying to do the Scottish accent and he nails it for individual lines of dialogue, but never like consistently for an entire scene, let alone the the collection of scenes that take place in Scotland. It's just every now and again, it's just like, oh, Scottish accent again. There it is again. He's back to that weird fucking way he talks. I'll I'll tell you what, if uh, there isn't an episode of the TV show where the ultimate warrior was the bad guy. That was a that's a that's a missed opportunity. Edge was on once. Edge was on the Endgame movie. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior was in a mo- uh, HBO movie called Firepower, where he did play a bad guy who used a katana sword. Nice. Which I only know because I was like, Ultimate Warriors in this movie. So, of course, I recorded it and watched it multiple times, convincing myself that it was good, knowing now that it was fucking terrible. Probably was fine. <laughs> Outside chance I'm going to make you watch it sometime soon, so uh, don't get too uh, upset about it. <laughs> I'm totally down. That's perfectly fine. Um, anyways, Doug, are you joining us on the Quickening, the Highlander cast? <laughs> no. That's not happening. All the movies, I, the two TV shows. 
I'm reasonably confident that this is the end of my Highlander journey. Because <laughs> the thing is, this movie is clearly not designed for sequels. Like it has such oh. a definitive ending. So you could definitely tell that like whatever happens next is going to be on school. Would it and tempt then, you if I told you that the villain in the third movie is Mario Van Peebles? <laughs> Believe it or not, I think I can still stay away. I'll do my best. <laughs> but if I told you that the second movie is set in the future and it's like cyberpunk Highlander. Oh, stop with, it. With Scottish ghost magic. Stop it. Uh, well, did you ever watch the Renegade cut, Noah? I don't know if I did or not. Uh, yeah, whoever, somebody went, like, it's an official cut. Like, I, I bought it on DVD. Uh, and they go in and edit out any reference to aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Whether that works or not, I, I don't remember. I'm gonna have to rewatch it. Now that, now that we've, now that we've talked about that weird ass movie, I've got to give it another <laughs> suppose i'll put it on the list make you guys watch it (laughs) i do have a question though no you won't just stop it but um with the the remainder of the series is it like a does the sword fighting get better i guess would be my question i don't know because like sword fighting is fun in this one but i wouldn't call it great and that i think it's it's a canon budget right so there's not like weeks of training going into these long drawn out sword fights so some look better than others, but there's I, there's an episode of the TV series where one of the people teaches their Doberman pinchers to attack the other immortals and chew their heads off. That help? No, I feel like that would help. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I kind of wish I didn't know that. Like it's... Uh, Anyways, so the Highlander 2 Renegade version has a documentary on it called Highlander 2 to be or not to be a sequel, which is a documentary created especially for this release with new interviews with actors and producers about the need for a renegade version of Highlander 2. Oh, Mike, th- this will sell you on it, Doug. You will watch part two because Michael Ironside what? is in it. Can't we just talk about the first one? That's Along good. with John C. McGinley. Wait, who the fuck was John C. McGinley? Uh, I, d- I don't know. And Virginia Madsen. So there we go. What's some of your favorite parts of this one, Doug? Um, I, I really dug when uh, so there's the other immortal that shows up in New York. I guess he's the third remaining one. I really liked when Kurgan went after him and they were having that sword fight in the alley. And random American just is like, what? You can't sword fight in my city. So he pulls out his gun and goes down there. That whole that whole moment was fun because he like, shoots Kurgan and then Kurgan just gets up. It's like, yeah. damn it. And it's 80s New York. So he starts firing off a machine gun and yeah. people from down the street are like, hey, what's going on over here? Like it's a party and they all just yeah. come down to watch. Did you guys keep it down? Like I'm trying to have drinks here. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I, I really dug that scene. Um, I liked a lot of the, the early flashback stuff when he was first learning how to use his skills. That moment where uh, James Bond throws him off the boat and he sinks to the bottom of the lake and then realizes he's not going to drown. And he, so he just starts having fun down there. 
<laughs> that was really fun to watch. And then eventually he like comes out and there's like fish up his kilt for some reason. <laughs> oh, that was yeah. fun. Yeah, I did. I did like it. <clears throat> the scene where the Kurgan comes and like storms his mini castle or whatever the fuck that's supposed to be. Yeah. And I f- that like that whole sequence where him and James Bond face off, I thought was really good. It was pretty good. I mean, again, the action. Everything would have been cooler if the action was a little better. Um, yeah. But... And like, the, you know what I mean? Like, it's just again, you don't you have Sean Connery for a week. How much choreography can he possibly do? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He just, it's not that he's doing it poorly. It's that they just don't have the, the time and budget to set it up the way we would yeah. expect to see if a movie were made today. Yeah, but I, yeah, I like that. I didn't love the like the random throwing in of the raping, and then just randomly dropping lines of dialogue about it later, and pretending yeah. it's just okay to do. It, 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 there was something about it where I'm just like, if if you're gonna do that, have it matter more. Like you don't, well, don't treat rape so casually, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's 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 a little bit frustrating and upsetting, but. Yeah, and it's like been like what, like four hundred years or something. Yeah, just bring <clears throat> and, it back up. And somehow, like Connor never found out during that whole time. I mean, I guess his well, wife never told him, so I guess I guess nobody else could. But yeah, like, I feel no. like him and Kurgan would have run into each other at some point in four hundred years. But yeah, yeah, like I, I feel like if you were going to expand the series, that's what it would be—is throwing back to other times where they've crisscrossed and yeah and stuff dealing with the idea that Kurgan always wanted to kill him, but he wouldn't have had that desire to kill Kurgan until the time of the gathering. But yeah. And we've talked about how the second movie makes no sense or whatever, but um, something I brought up is I think generally me and Noah and Noah can correct me if I'm wrong. Do you remember the TV show being like decent, especially for coming out around that time period? Yeah, and it um, was it, it was popular whenever it was on. Yeah, I have heard people say upon the rewatches that it does not hold up very well. Uh, but they actually did something interesting, which is they tied it into the continuity of the movies rather than just being like, "Oh, we'll just make a Highlander TV show," you know, ignore the movies. We'll just blah 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 blah. But it does create a big plot hole because the main character him and Connor know each other because Christopher Lambert shows up in the first couple episodes to kind of set up the series and sort of pass it off onto this new guy yeah but they point out they're like oh they know each other they've known each other for a long time and this dude has been alive for a long time as well so then we start wondering okay well if the gathering was happening where the fuck was he at like that doesn't make any sense, but you just kind of well, shrug, shrug your shoulders and go. Man. I would, I would also say it's like it's possible we just didn't see every fight, right? Like we don't know if the Kurgan just killed a few other guys <laughs> off screen. I was gonna say, although although the problem is, is apparently Christopher Lambert was the one in 1986, while the TV show takes place in the 90s afterwards. So yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like eventually they just look at the the very end of the movie with his like, oh, I can grow old and have children now. 
they just kind of ignore that and then pretend that part two didn't happen and like okay yeah. so it's kind of tied in but not really yeah i mean it pretty much has to be and then yeah. uh by the fourth movie the character from the tv show shows up and sort of becomes the main character in the series so there can be a few depending on the situation (laughs) but then we must battle again until there is one Uh, I do feel like the concept and I'm going to say this and you're going to be like what is I mean the concept itself is kind of simple and interesting for this movie which is just you're immortal you have to kill someone else to take their power. Um, And it's interesting that sort of that simple concept then spawned like this entire franchise, which is very strange. I mean, two TV shows, five, six movies. Yeah. It's like, but it, it is a concept that they really looked at. Um, like as much as you could say it in two sentences, okay, these guys are immortal. Eventually, they're going to fight. We're only allowed to have one. But they did a good job of expanding it in the first film to make it a story that lasts centuries, right? Yeah. So it's not surprising that someone would try to build on that. It's more... I'd be more surprised if I found out they did a good job. <laughs> like I say, the, the real... um. The real thing is, like, this movie really does have an ending. Like, when he destroys the Kurgan and becomes the uh, the one, and he moves on happy with his life, that is a solid ending. Even if it's a bit, it's a bit weird how they're just like, instead of having the lore explained to us in some way, we're just, they'll be like, how'd it work out? And he'll just explain his new powers to his wife, and then they'll go on with their lives. But still, it's, um... It's it's a real button on the storyline. It's really like, hey, we're done here. So expanding on it seems silly. Uh, I don't know. Anything else before we move on? No, it's a really solid movie. Um, has a little bit of canon in it. So, you know, get ready for a little bit of cheese every now and again. But... Sure. Unnecessary like, nudity, but it's there. Yeah, yeah, of course. I said I already said canon. You don't need to. You don't need to repeat it. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, but I mean, like it's it's worth it alone for the sword fights, for the neat storytelling of like jumping back and forth between the two time periods, and then that scene in the church where Clancy Brown comes in with his head shaved and stuff, and confronts McLeod in the church where they're they're not for whatever reason they're not allowed to fight in the church. That's you know, like the hotel in John Wick, that's just a rule and everybody just naturally abides by it. So this like Clancy Brown just gets to like monologue in that church. And it's just he's so creepy and gross looking with that shaved head and everything. And, and the way they've got that makeup done, and he's got that one extra scar around his eye that's never quite explained. But it's uh, it's so good watching him just kind of chew the scenery, which is not what I think of when I think of Clancy Brown. So. Um, all right. Uh, Doug, do you want to tell us about uh, Pet Cemetery 2? 
Yeah, Pet Cemetery too. So, opening scene of this movie, it's on the set of a horror film. And there's a kid there watching his mom because she's the main actress. And so he gets to like hang out by the director and watch his mom. Then, bam, she gets electrocuted to death right in front of her child. Yeah, that's bad uh, times. Next, the next scene is uh, just a close up of a kid uh, having to put his dog to sleep. Which it's a hard cut from watching a kid watch his mom die to watching a kid watch his dog die. I'm not sure why we had to go back to back with that. Oof, Jesus. Um, but then the kid, because his mom's dead now, has to go live with his dad, who runs a mobile vet clinic, but is now decided to settle down and take up, uh, take over the veterinary clinic in whatever the little town from Pet Cemetery is. Ludlow. Uh, Clancy Brown plays the local uh, sheriff, and he's a real jerk to his stepson, so much so that he eventually shoots his stepson's dog. Oh, it's fucking terrible. Results in, you know, the pet cemetery being invoked and the dog comes back and is less than uh, polite to everyone because it's a dead dog. Eventually, eventually the dog kills Clancy Brown. So then their kids are like, for some reason, that isn't, in my opinion, particularly well explained. They decide they got to somehow somehow off camera carry a, an adult body up over there and <laughs> these two 12 year olds have to pull that off and they bury him and he comes back but he's not right either and then what? at first he's being very nice and that's what makes everyone know that something's up with him but uh yeah i don't know eventually the kid uh wants to bring his mom back naturally so yeah. That, uh, that all leads to a big climax. Oh, and the, there's a side storyline about a, a, a series of bullies that are clearly just this writer's version of the Lost Boys. <laughs> and their leader is 12-year-old Kiefer Sutherland. And uh, so he becomes one of the zombie characters as well. So they have extra people to kill because you got to have more yeah. zombies in this one than you did in the last one. Just out of nowhere, too. Yep. Just... <laughs> Those bullies just randomly show up like four times in the movie. And then it's like they are so not a presence in the movie the rest of the time. And then all of a sudden they're just like, oh, yeah, now we're going to steal your cat. And it's like we're going to have a cat stealing scene in this movie out of nowhere. All right, let's do that for a while. And then the the next time he's like, can we talk about this? This movie should just and don't get me wrong, because I love this movie. This is like trigger warning the film. Like if you have a sensitivity to cruelty to animals, this movie is like a cannibal Holocaust level of Jesus fucking Christ. Like, because we get uh, the bullies riding around with the poor little kitten that you think is going to die. We get the slaughtered kittens, the slaughtered rabbits, the dog that gets shot. The <laughs> like, yeah. fuck. Yeah. Not oh, great. oh ca- casual rape scene. But kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently it was supposed to be longer, and I'm like, really? Do we do we need longer version of that? Well, maybe they just wanted that actress to have something to do because she's the mother of one of the main characters, and she's in the whole movie, and they like gets like one line of dialogue, and is never allowed to have anything resembling a personality. Yeah, actually, it's weird in this movie. Like, it feels like. And I'm not normally the one that brings this stuff up, but like it really feels like they were disrespectful to like women characters in this movie. 
Like the mom at the beginning is just there to die as like motivation for the kid character. And then <laughs> you have like the other the other kid's mom that's like married to Clancy Brown is just such a non-character. She, and she's just always doing like wifely things around the house. Every time you see her, she's just always cooking dinner or helping the kid get ready for Halloween or like just she's just like. Yeah, so, like a, a blob that is a mom, just like no, no no characteristics whatsoever as a human being but then you also have like the random like housekeeper that gets hired by the dad to like help i don't even know why they need a housekeeper when it's just like a dad and like a son living there but because he's a she's man just, he ain't got no woman folk to take care of the home yeah but she's just in the background like all the time just and again like completely non-existent as a character serves no purpose it's yelled at by Ed Furlong once for just like the first, the only time she talks in the whole movie, he just loses it on her. You're not my mom. And he storms off. And I'm like, so, right, like, so it actually goes deeper than what you're thinking, Doug, because okay. the, the director's original pitch for this movie was to follow Ellie, which is the sister from the first movie. Who's like the sole surviving member of the family. Right. And, and with her trials and tribulations, and the studio basically said, nobody gives no fuck about a horror movie with a f- female teenage lead. Rewrite it for a dude. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So then maybe this is and now I'm going to assume that this is the director intentionally doing that to these female characters as a fuck you to the. It's possible. Screen. Mary Lambert would not be, uh, would not be, uh, uh, it would not be a surprise that she would do shit like that. Because they do name drop Ellie, but don't they just say she killed herself off screen or something? Oh, they the, the, a whole bunch of references are made to the first movie. Whenever yeah. the the bully is uh, running away with the cat, they actually go right past their house. Yeah. From the first it's movie, the, yeah, and it's the same path down to the pet cemetery and all that kind of stuff. And they drop a lot of the names a few times. And when they're in the cemetery, right. you see the gravestones and stuff. What's interesting is they didn't film it in the same location, which I had to look up because I'm like, man, I feel like they matched some stuff really well. It turns out they filmed in Georgia. First one was filmed in Maine. It's interesting because it's. It does look like that they at least the exteriors of that one house were at the same spot. Fucking Clancy's doing his vague uh, uh, Ed Munster impression. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> we, should uh, talk, yeah. We, should, we should talk about how he's the only person in this movie attempting to do a main accent. That's fine. I would not. I don't want Ed for long trying. <laughs> oh, no, he does not need to. I'll tell you what. I actually kind that, like, of I like, ER, like or <laughs> I like Clancy Brown's decision that he instead of like just doing it real thick, he just kind of peppers his normal speech with main like dialecta. You know what I mean? Which is way better yeah, it, than it's way more like, accent. It's way more accurate to how people from Maine sound than most people who would try to do a Maine accent. Because most people come across as a caricature. And then once he dies and comes back, 
then his performance is just he always has that weird look on his face like that evil smirk and hit for, I think he made a decision to have his head not sit still because the dog had bitten through the neck so his head is kind of wobbling through the remainder of the film which is like an hour of film time left of our one of our main characters his head never stops moving I was going to say, I, I think I would definitely describe his facial expression as I have a murder boner right now. Like, yeah, that's what he that's does through the accurate. whole movie. He's like, yeah. Here's the thing. Like, we picked these two movies because they have Clancy Brown in them. And in both of them, he's like hamming it up and chewing the scenery and playing this just like crazy evil guy. And that's just that's not what I associate <laughs> with Clancy Brown at all. I didn't know he really did this. So I'm like, oh. I'm really excited to watch him do this. He's so good at it. Really? I was, I was going to say this one's closer to some of the stuff I associate to him because one of my big associations for Clancy Brown is him playing random douchebag cop. Yeah. The last time we saw him do that was like in blue steel and he didn't really, he just certainly didn't have it up in that. He's done it more times. I actually think this isn't the only Stephen King adaptation he plays random douchebag cop in, right? Am I crazy? Uh, I think he's in Green Mile, I want to say. Green Mile? Was, in, was he in the Langoliers too, or something like that? I swear uh, to God he was in one. another one. But Maybe thinking of Ron Perlman in Desperation. Maybe. You guys certainly aren't thinking of the Shawshank Redemption, right? Like, okay, that was the one he was in. I couldn't remember if it was that one or the Green Mile. Yeah, but Shawshank, he's not hamming it up at all. He plays it dead serious, which makes sense given the movie. Yeah. Um, but that, like, that is my go-to when I think Clancy Brown. I think Shawshank. And when I try to picture him in the '80s, I always picture his character from Bad Boys, right? Which are both like much more serious roles. So I'm not used to seeing him like this. So to watch it twice in one week was interesting. Uh, he also um, played uh, Lex Luthor in the Bruce Tim like Justice League universe. Yeah, and I think it might be one of my favorite Lex Luthers just because of how yeah. evil he is. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean that that stuff is all just so well written. So. Yeah, he's in Shawshank. Plays a state trooper in Dead Man Walking with Sean Penn. Dead Man Walking. That's the one where Sean Penn's on death row the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, okay, so he wasn't in Green Mile. It was Shawshank I was thinking of then. Okay. I sometimes get those mixed up. Understandable. Specifically yeah, about like who plays a guard? I don't know. Yeah. But, um, I mean, yeah, yeah, he's he's probably the best part of this movie. Yeah, I think so. His performance is just I think his performance suits the film more than anyone else's. Like a lot of these other people are playing it like it's a serious horror film and it's not, you know, it's clearly intended to be cheesy and fun and nobody else seems to want to play it that way. Or Edward Furlong's trying and this is the best he can do. Yeah, Edward Furlong, by the way, straight off of Terminator 2. Yeah. Oof. The height of his powers. And his his performance in this movie is not. I I remember his his acting performances like trailing off as time went on. 
and apparently that was not true. They just like nosedived because well, he's not great in this. He's not terrible, but the fact that he was coming off T2 is crazy. The, uh, the interesting thing about that is like in the opening scenes where he's like with his mom and she dies and then you cut to him at the funeral. I think he's like good. Like in the opening, I was like, OK, he's doing fine. And then like the moment where he's got to look all sad because his mom's dead. I'm like, oh, shit, like that's acting. He's doing acting right now and he's doing a very good job of it. So maybe he's better than I remember. And then the rest of the movie happens and I'm like, no. Oh, he's what I remember. Like that's <laughs> yeah. No, it, it it gets worse the further. By the time we get to the end, where it's supposed to be kind of him in that weird daze where he's putting on the suit and stuff. Yeah, you're like fuck me. He's just terrible. Well, part of the problem there too, I think, is like in the first movie we had we established this like lore of like. There, there was some magic power that drew you back. Once you went to that cemetery, once you would be drawn back. And, you know, Judd has those lines about how, like, maybe he's actually responsible. Like, maybe he, he's the reason that Gage got killed because the, the draw to bury another person there was so strong and all that. And here they just they don't explore that at all. And so it's like, well, what happened to him? Like, like, I, like again, I, I mentioned in my plot description, why do they even feel the need to bury Clancy Brown there? Like, if you just called, like, an adult and was like, uh, he was here getting us in trouble and a dog bit him in the neck, it's not like they're going to be punished for that. Like, you know what I mean? So well, there's no reason, and, and they, don't, they, don't, they don't do anything to give you a reason for their behavior. The, uh, Barry Lambert talked in an interview that apparently like in the first movie it was all he buried gage in the cemetery due to grief and this one was dealing with teenage boys so it was mainly just showing them making really stupid decisions which is honestly what a lot of teenage boys do and just sort of what comes out of that i guess yeah, it's, it's real crazy, too, because, I mean, the character you kind of want to be the main character in the movie is the other kid. And then, the, you know, the movie just doesn't work out that way. Yeah, it's yeah. No, the know. movie's a lot of the movie's a lot of fun to watch. But when you stop and think about it, a lot of it is just doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, I I would say where the movie succeeds is the horror stuff. I mean, as a horror movie, this is a fucking great horror movie, especially if, you know, you're like a gore freak like I am. I I think it needed more, to be honest, though. I was a little upset when they when they took that like running motorcycle wheel and jammed it in that child's face. I was really upset that we didn't see more of his face fly off. Which I understand, yeah, like, but man, that's that's great. In that that fucking car wreck, whenever Clancy Brown fucking runs them into that semi, I really enjoyed the car. I enjoyed the car wreck, but I was totally taken out of it. So, like, who made the decision to have that truck be full of potatoes of all the I, things that I could have fallen crazy. on top doesn't, of them? Doesn't and it feel them. comedic? Unnecessarily yeah. comedic? You're like, oh, it does. Wah, like, yeah, like it, it it did feel funny. And there's several points in this movie where I feel like it felt funny, which is fine. Like you can have fun in a horror film, but it's like if you want me to take these deaths seriously and be affected by them, you can't also make a joke at the same time. 
So it's weird. I did. I did like that. They kept the theme idea of whenever you bury something and bring it back, it like almost inverts it. And they become the opposite of what they were. Yeah. Which, you know, his his really sweet dog becomes an asshole. And then his stepdad, who is a complete piece of shit, starts being nice and joking around with him and stuff, you know. But I don't know that how much that's intentional, how much of that is just the characters acting how it's convenient for them. Because Clancy Brown's character is acting all nice and stuff, but then he does just. Right. Well, they are evil in planning to murder everyone. I'm just saying the behavior swaps because they did that in the first movie, too. Where like Church the Cat becomes a little motherfucker. Uh, so I think I'm less of a fan of this movie than both of you are. Okay. I don't know if I'm a huge fan of Clancy Brown's portrayal after he comes back. I mean, it's fun to watch just because it's Clancy Brown just being whatever. Yeah. But I feel like it's more like comedic. Whereas in the first one, I feel like when they come back, they're just straight up evil. You're 100% correct in your statement. Yeah. I, I would never want to watch the first movie and then watch this one right away yeah. because it, it, the tonal shift would be frustrating as hell and just the inconsistencies would be annoying. Yeah. Like, like I think what you're saying is a very valid criticism. If you're a fan of the first movie going into this one, hoping for a direct sequel, this really is its own standalone thing. Yeah, because then I can't tell, like, we had mentioned that people sort of get drawn to it, to this, uh, the Indian burial ground and whatnot. But I feel like in this movie, it's just like the Indian burial grounds, like, uh, goal is just to get more people buried in it. It's so it's the ground's gone sour. So it's not so much like the alive characters that are making bad decisions. I mean, after the first two times, obviously. But then it's just Clancy Brown going around murdering people and being like, all right. And then hauling them up to the pet cemetery and burying them. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's really kind of inconsistent in a way, like because you're like if he's if his goal is like kill people and bring them back. So he has like this zombie army or something. Okay, but then why doesn't you do that a lot more? You know what I mean? Like, you could just yeah. do that any given time. Yeah, because then one of the rules they set up, which is from the first one, is you have to bury your own for yeah. it to work. But then who buries the bully kid? Plancy Brown it? does. Yeah, but that's not, he's not his. It's, it's his kill? I think there might be something like it, if you... Like a, a different interpretation of it would be that you bury your own, meaning whatever you bury will come back as loyal to you, right? So when Church came back, it was loyal to the dad rather than the daughter in the first movie. When uh, the dog comes back, it's loyal to the boy in this movie because he's the one that buried it. But then that, what as I'm saying now? that out loud, I'm like, the Clancy Brown certainly wasn't loyal to the kids that uh, married him. 
And then the dog so sort of turns on him at some point. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I, I think what we're what we're getting to is that this isn't a particularly well thought out and executed yeah. film, right? Yeah. Again, lot there's lots of fun to be had. There's a lot of like, like one of the moments I noticed in this film is like, the the scene where Clancy Brown shows up at the pet cemetery and the kids are having their like Halloween party there, and he breaks it up because he's, and he like they knock over like a lantern and it starts a little fire, and then that just. That goes nowhere. There's just a fire in this pet <laughs> cemetery, which is one of the primary locations for this whole movie to take place and for all this stuff. And you're like, it doesn't burn down the pet cemetery. It doesn't like play a role in Clancy Brown's death. It doesn't anything. It's just we just thought it'd be neat if a fire started. And nobody thought past that. They don't even explain why it either doesn't spread or who puts it out or what. Like it just it just shit just happens. And I think there's a lot of that in this movie, you know? Yeah. Green. Well, what was the whole idea of having the dad run a mobile vet clinic? Like, how does that make sense as a plot point in this movie? How was a guy that ran a mobile vet clinic in Maine married to a movie star in California? How, what? Like, it, it does none of it really make sense if you think. And I feel like a lot of that is just them throwing a movie together. Well, he moves to Maine after his wife dies. But everyone in the town already knows them. Uh, because I think the mom was from there. Which is why so, they bury her in that cemetery. So the idea being that they moved back to the wife's hometown, even though him and the wife were separated at the time of her death? Yeah, he says he wants to get uh, the kid out. He gets Edward Furlong out of L.A. Yeah. There's no, like, yeah, I don't know. Logic makes no sense in this movie. Yeah, it's just, again, a lot of that stuff could be explained. Like you could have moments of like him sitting down with his son and saying like, you know, like maybe it would be good for us to go live in mom's old house so that we could remember her, but still move on with our lives, you know, stuff like that. But they don't take the time to do that. I don't think they're interested in doing that. No, not really. Yeah, it, it, you know, it feels like the movie lacked care. And based on what you're saying to me is like, maybe there was this thing of like, um, she came in with this idea of like, here's how I can make a sequel to my movie and tie it in and it would look really neat. And there are just studio execs yelling at her until she agreed to just do this and take her paycheck and go home. You know, <laughs> very possible. That's how it feels to me. So I don't know if that's accurate or not. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, what did everybody watch since last episode? Watch shit. Okay. What did you watch, Doug? Um, I have not watched a single movie because I decided instead to dedicate my week to rewatching Andor, which I 
I think I told you guys before, like I watched it when it was new, but I treated it like it was another season of the Mandalorian and that's the level of attention I paid and I felt it deserved a rewatch. So I finally got around to it and, uh, man, that show is so fucking good. It is like the way that they're able to, they tell the main story of Cassian Andor becoming a member of the rebellion, right? side stuff which is all about the build-up of the rebellion on one side and also a look at like the rising empire on the other side is all so good and it really it delves into like the dark side of the rebellion and like what did people have to sacrifice in order to build this and what terrible things did they have to do in order to build this um as well as looking at like the the mundaneness on the empire side. And like, I love the scenes where it's just like, you know, middle managers in the empire that are just like going along with it because it's a decent career move. And, Oh, Hey, if we, you know, if we're successful at committing this cultural genocide on this planet, I can get transferred to a better place and not have to live here anymore. Stuff like that is just like really interesting for me, the way they pull it off. Um, mixed in with like just enough good action to remind you that you're watching a star Wars show. It's, it's really genuinely great. Um, I, I, I wish I'd paid more attention the first time I watched it. Um, I, I, I'm not sure what to say. Like there's the, the way they tell the story of, of Cassian becoming a thing where he keeps trying to not get involved in the rebellion, but he keeps getting sucked back in because the empire is just overtaking this world and, you know, then you, of course, have these parallels to the real world where the Empire is using, like, independent contractors. And uh, literally, like, there's scenes where the independent contractors are committing, like, crimes. And, you know, there's just no consequences to that. But the minute somebody pushes back and kills one of them, oh, well, that's a big deal. We have to act like now one of ours got killed. And I'm like, oh, is it really, really touching? Like, I know Star Wars has always been... Uh, political in a, to a certain extent and like you know using references to the real world but you guys are you're really pushing it now like <laughs> you know any, any audience member who's smart enough to understand this is gonna see what you're saying um yeah. and, and it really worked the cultural genocide stuff on that one planet i thought was really well done too where um so basically there's like this ceremony that happens every three years where it's just like some star event and all these people come to this certain spot to uh, witness it but the empire wants that spot because it's like convenient for building like a hydro dam or something like it's just so what they do is they like basically they take it over but they allow these people to come back for their um ceremony every three years or whatever but in between during that three years they intentionally build like pubs and shit so that people get distracted on their pilgrimage to the holy site so that basically the idea is every year fewer and fewer people make it all the way there because there's all these good reasons to get distracted on your walk to it kind of thing and you're just like oh my god like the horribleness of that and they're like yeah now we're down like like a couple years ago it was sixty thousand people now it's like a couple hundred so basically next time we're just gonna say no but there won't be enough of them left that care for us to and you're like holy shit that is dark. Like that is really dark to watch them intentionally destroy a culture just because it's inconvenient to them. Yeah. For some reason, for some reason I did not get into this 
series nearly as much as everybody else seemed to. Well, and I think because it's so different from the Mandalorian and the Boba Fett stuff that it, it it's it's a real harsh shift. And that's one of the things I like about having these expanded universes is that you can have these different types of things. But, you know, the, I, I for me, like, that's why I felt like I needed to rewatch it was to appreciate it because it I, I, I the first time I was using it as, you know, hey, I can be on my phone and look up when a gunfight shoots up. I can follow the story good enough and, you know, only need to look up when the visuals require it and stuff. And that's not what this is. It's totally different. So mm. it might not be for everyone because, you know, that's again, it's very different from other things. Um, yeah, maybe I need to rewatch it before the second one shows up. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm already ready to rewatch it again and, and watch for more subtleties that I missed. But the other thing is, it proves that in Star Wars, you can like take a, an existing character and give us their backstory and tell us like basically their whole life leading up to the moment where they show up in the movies, and you don't have to make it stupid. So makes that solo movie seem even worse now because <laughs> you're like look like like a lot of the stuff in Andor is like literally like well how do you get involved and it's like oh well here he is where he just was living his own life and got mixed up with these imperials and had to go on the run and here he is where he tried to drop out but then got thrown into a bullshit prison system and you know prison stuff is all really good too i know that's the stuff that people really liked about the show there's like a whole like couple episodes that take place in a prison where they're being forced to build parts for uh and it's being parts for the death star spoiler alert but um you know the whole idea that they're just imprisoning people for no reason in order to have the slave labor it helps you understand just how horrible the empire is which is something that the original trilogy just glossed over you know they were just kind of like Come on, they're the bad guys. Look at them. Their leader is wearing black. They're dressed kind of like Nazis. They're the bad guys, you know. <laughs> now, that's fine. Those that's with how those movies were. I, I've never had any complaints about them. But it is interesting to then go back and take a more like adult perspective and look at it and say, okay, yeah, but why are they evil? And you and you start to see these different reasons and these things they're doing that that really show how terrible they are. Yeah. So. I, I I loved it. I so glad I rewatched it. I was planning to watch it like, you know, one or two episodes a week and take like a month or something and get through it all. And then it ended up being over the course of six days. I watched it all. <laughs> Just didn't watch anything else. Barely made it to the two movies that I had to watch for this podcast. So. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a huge recommend. It's really, really well done. It's just, it is different. And, you know, yeah. I think at some point you, uh, it might not be for everyone, right? But it might be for an, a different audience that isn't enjoying Mandalorian this season, which was a little bit more, I don't know, light. Yeah, some of the episodes didn't connect very well. It's just... Because I, I did enjoy The Mandalorian quite a bit this season. Um, I enjoyed it. It just was not nearly as sort of like, oh, I have to see it every, you know, 
every Wednesday when they put an episode up, I have to watch it right away. I was just sort of like, eh, not this season. But I, I really enjoyed the episode of Mandalorian too, where they just they took that one doctor from like season one of the show, and he just like like working for the Empire, and they were they showed like what happened when they decided to start like rehabilitating him and reintroducing him back to society. How does that all work? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've. I've actually kind of like not thought about that and now I want to and I enjoyed that even though a lot of people complained about it because it's just like a random sidebar. It is. It's okay. a weird it's a weird detour. It it's yeah, it is. But I really liked it. So and that's sometimes stuff like that you just forgive a show because you're just like, okay, well, if I really liked what they did, then I don't care that it didn't make that much sense. Why we why it's so different from every other episode. Uh, did you watch anything else? No, that is all I watched. I only had, I only had time for that twelve hours of watching on top of the two movies that we normally watch. Oh, so. yeah. Well, this is interesting because I did not watch a single thing this week. Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, I watch stuff, but I mean, it was not. It's like, oh, wrestling's on. I'll watch that. Yeah. It was nothing. Uh, did you watch the Freebirds matches? Is that? I did not. I did not. The only Freebird match I watched was at the beginning of Highland. Okay. Just checking. Uh, it's interesting because one of the uh, complaints about this podcast is that we don't spend enough time on the movies and too high a percentage of our show is on the what have you been watching segment. So luckily this oh. week we've, we've solved that problem by nobody watching anything. People complain about that? I don't know. I do. You do? You complain about that? That's, that's Doug voicing his complaint about his own show. I, I, have, I have heard that complaint from listeners. Oh, well. They can, get, they can do their own show. Or uh, they can turn into the, the quickening cast. All <laughs> Islander all the time. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Actually, that Martin Scorsese show that we can talk about doing. Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, Doug just threw out a suggestion uh, that we should do a Martin Scorsese episode. So that means instead we are doing Killer Clowns from Outer Space Jesus. and Morons from yeah, Outer Space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Suck it, high art. <laughs> That's the exact opposite of what I suggested. I didn't know there was an opposite uh, to my suggestion. Yep, killer clowns from outer space and morons from outer space. Yeah, fuck, fuck yeah. Outer space episode. Clowns and morons. It's all Doug's fault. <laughs> I'm so excited for killer clowns from outer space. Uh, There's another one I wanted to do, and I couldn't find one of the movies. It's not anywhere that we could actually watch it. So, But it also would have been in, this, <laughs> in the opposite vein of... Martin Scorsese episode. You do Martin Scorsese on your weeks, Doug. I was trying to manipulate you into picking one of my things on your what? week. No. Killer, Killer Clans is one of those ones I've always wanted to see in an actual theater. Oh, uh, yeah. I can see I've that. Never, I've never seen Killer Clan. It's killer clowns from outer space, and I don't even know what the morons movie is. Like that, 
it's it's like a it's just a random comedy. It's it's hard to explain. Uh, both movies are on Tubi for all you listening at home. So feel free to join us. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Next week we'll discuss whether I think it's a good idea to join us or not. But I guess I'll, in order to hear that, they'll have to have already made their decision whether to watch along. Uh, let's see. More on some outer space. The story begins as a small spaceship docking with a refueling station. On board are a group of four aliens, Bernard, Sandra, Desmond, and Julian. During a particular tedious period of their stay at the station, the other three begin playing with the ship's controls while Bernard is outside playing space ball. They accidentally disconnect his part of the ship, leaving him stranded while they crash into a large blue uh, planet close by. Yeah, morons. It's no Earth Girls are easy, but... That probably would have been a better choice. (laughs) Yeah, but the theme is movies from outer space. Yeah, Killer Clowns, though, I'm excited to rewatch. And you said you've never seen it before, Doug? No. I think you'll enjoy it, actually. It's it's made from... uh, Made by the Kyoto brothers who made uh, the Critters uh, puppets. So they do all the special effects work in it. So it's a lot of fun. All right. We'll see what happens. Yeah. The the designs are uh, pretty spectacular. Yeah. All right. Taking <sighs> your guys' word for this. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, was there any good trailers this week? I don't feel like there was. I don't know. I just put that freaking movie from 2017 in the chat that looks dope. Was there a new trailer out this week for that movie from 2017? Is that what we're suggesting? No, I had, uh, I had IMDB pulled up and you know, if, if a trailer runs and finishes, it just starts cycling through other trailers for movies with the same actors in it. And that, one pop- and that one just popped up and I was like, holy shit, it's the got movie, a lot of people I love. The movie it. has a shit ton of people in it. Christopher Lambert, Michael Madsen, Rucker Hauer. Just, just all the B-movie royalty. Yeah, pretty much. I think it's got a Baldwin in it. Oh, yeah, William. Apparently new Dune trailer went up today. But I still haven't seen the first one, so I haven't watched it. I saw an Onion article the other day that it's, it was actually one of the best headlines I've seen in a while. It said, Dune 2 starts at exactly the point where the audience fell asleep during Dune 1. <laughs> <laughs> oh, something we should be happy about. Black Mirror Season 6 is coming. Ooh. Yeah, that should be exciting. They put a trailer out. I opted not to watch it. Uh, just going to uh, Black Mirror blind. Uh, I am a little worried just because um, Doug, I know at least me and you, I don't, I don't remember what Noah's stance is, but 
Beanie really likes Black Mirror, like all his five yeah. seasons so far. Uh, the tra- the this trailer is just sort of a grab bag of like, okay, here's some of the stories we're doing without really like going deep into it. <laughs> but I'm gonna guess every episode has like a star that you recognize in it, which has me a little disappointed. Not surprising though. I would I would say Black Mirror. I'm like eighty twenty. Yeah. Because I think the episodes that I like, I love, but just occasionally there's an episode that I'm like, oh, this is kind of dumb. I see uh, Selma Hayek and Aaron Paul are both in episodes. Um, and I don't know. I'm just a little worried that it's getting a little too. Uh, uh, yeah, too mainstreamy. It's always been. The concern ever since Netflix got involved, right? Yeah. Yeah, when it was just the original British version of it, I think it, it's probably when it worked best. Yeah. But we'll see. I, I remain hopeful because it's not like they've done anything bad yet. Yeah. And the fact that they held off this long and are just deciding to come back tells me that there's still people in charge. Like, I'm assuming that same dude is still in charge charlie booker yeah 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 and so he if he's still in charge and still being able to to guide the show you know having famous people in it i don't think is necessarily going to be the worst thing yeah yeah he said for a while he's like well the world's kind of terrible right now so maybe we don't need to you know, like you making well, stories about like, how terrible everything is. Yeah, like let's just be honest. There for a little while, it's like you didn't need Black Mirror as long as you had a window, you were fine. Like you, could, <laughs> it'd be okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, I don't know what they were supposed to do in that time frame. So we haven't moved past it yet. The world's still shit, but <sighs> I gotta stop watching American news though. Yeah, you should. I don't watch it. It's, it's so entertaining sometimes. No, it's not. <laughs> not when you live here, it's not. I know. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.